So I had all the good intentions this week. Um, those that are regular RK have noticed we've been going through Matthew for a good kind of like, I don't know, two and a half years. It's been a while. Uh, and as a part of that, we've been systematically going through it. But you'd have noticed a couple of weeks ago, um, we skipped over five verses. It was just the way that it kind of wound up. And then Jim last week uh, spoke on the unmerciful servant. So I had this great idea. I know what I'll do. I'll take 18, 15 to 20, and 19, 1 to 15. Now, 18, 15 to 20 is on church discipline, and 19, 1 to 20 is on divorce. And I thought, I'll take all those in one Sunday. I tried it. It's not going to work. So I've, I'm just doing 18, 15 to 20 today, and then we'll look at what Jesus has to say on 19, 1 to 15, probably in a couple of weeks' time, because um, Maria's teaching on the rich young ruler next week. So we will get to it. It's just I didn't feel that by doing both I'd do justice to either. So that's why we're going to look at Matthew 18, 15 to 20. Um, if you want a Bible, there are Bibles over there. But the reality of these verses, which people kind of frame as church discipline, is more as human beings we fall out of each other, don't we? All the time. Like we fall out you're my best friend, you're no longer my best friend. We get hurt by people. And as we go through life, as we travel through life, we pick up these hurts, don't we? And we carry them. And sometimes we carry bitterness for an awful long time of, well, that person hurt me and this person said that and this person did that to me. We hold on to things and what happens is we kind of wreck our own hearts and we wreck our own minds and we end up getting hurt and stressed and worried and anxious and all these things happen. And it must be kind of common, because I don't know if you've noticed, but every single Disney movie that's ever been produced has this same theme. There's like a beautiful friendship, everything's going well, then there's some disaster, and then at the end they all get back together and, they hap- and everybody's happy. But it's always the same kind of script. You can kind of, I could write a Disney movie, I think. You know, think of Moana, Frozen, uh, Lion King, um, Jungle Book. All great movies, Lion King being the tip of those, all great, but they all kind of carry the same kind of theme because it's the reality of life that Disney's picked up on it. People fall out, people have these big things that go off, and then sometimes they carry on for life or sometimes they're let go of. I was visiting, I've got a, a friend who I visit who's in her 80s now, and her sister passed away last year. And um, so I said, oh, did you go to the funeral? And that was met with a no. Why would I do that? And it turns out that in the 60s or 70s, these two ladies that were sisters had had a bust up over something completely minimal and hated each other ever since. And I thought, oh, that's so tragic. Like something has happened, you've fallen out and you'd carried it to the point of even though her sister had passed away, she didn't want to go to the funeral because it was too traumatic for her. And I said to her, how do you feel about that? Do you feel sad? And she she said something like, well, it's not ideal. I mean, she didn't quite say it like that. That's how I would kind of put it. But it was that kind of heart that, yeah, that wasn't the best it could have been. But it was because stuff happened and the longer we leave things to deal with, the worse stuff gets and it becomes a bigger and bigger issue. And so for this lady, it was just too much. Decades and decades have passed and bitterness and anger had just grown up. And so Jesus here, as well as with the unmerciful servant, as well as with divorce, 
in 19, 1 through 15. And it's all about how we interact with each other because Jesus knows it's tough. How are we going to, as Christians, be different to the world? What's going to be our standard of how we relate to one another versus how the rest of the world relates? And I think it's as simple as we have to be people who refuse to give up on each other. As Christians, refuse to be people that say, okay, well, I'm done with you. I don't think that should be something that's in our language or in our DNA. I watched the, I don't know if you've seen this, the Railway Man film with Colin Firth. You know, Colin Firth of Pride and Prejudice and white t-shirt moment. Like him, as the, the kind of main character, um, plays this kind of British, um, I don't know, I guess a British soldier in, in World War II, an army officer. Um, and it's based on the true story of a guy called Eric Lomax. Do you know the film I'm talking about? For those that don't, basically he was captured, he became a prisoner of war um, over in Asia and he was forced to build, hence it's called the railway man, uh, a railway line between Burma and Thailand. And you can imagine, I mean I've not been to Burma and Thailand, but they look hot. They look a little bit different to kind of our climate here in the UK. And so in harsh conditions, thousands and thousands of people were to build this railway um, during the Second World, World War in appalling conditions, so appalling, 83,000 people died building it. I mean, it's huge. And so there's this film about the story of this guy called Eric Lomax, who's played by Firth. And then um, they see him, the British kind of army officer, as like, he looks like he's going to be a guy who gathers people around him to plot an escape. He's going to be trouble for us. And so what they do is they target him. They break his arms. They break his hip. They punish him. They torture him. His life is miserable. And then the world war ends and they're set free. And so he, sets, he, he then goes, well, we need to bring to justice all the people that have oppressed me. All the people that have oppressed all these people that have passed away, I need to bring them to justice. And so that's what he starts doing, kind of setting about doing that. And most of the people that, are, that were responsible were caught. And that was great. But the one man, there was one man by the name of Takashi Nagas, or Nagasi, I don't know, Takashi Nagasi, uh, sounds better, doesn't it? Uh, and he was the one who was responsible for breaking his arms and breaking his hip. He was like the orchestrator of the torture, and this guy escaped. And so the story is of Eric Lomax kind of dealing with his grief, dealing with his anger, dealing with his hatred, and trying to find this man who oppressed him for so many years, trying to track him down. In order to, and this is the way the film goes, I know it's going to be a huge spoiler alert, but in order to kill him. In order that he could get revenge. So if he broke my hip, I'll break his hip twice as hard or something. You know, he, he wanted to kill the man that had caused him so much misery and pain. And then in 1993, he found him and he arranged a meeting. I don't know if he used MySpace. I don't, know, I don't know if MySpace was around in the early 90s, but something like that. He used some kind of communication to get in touch with this guy. He tracked him down and arranged a meeting. And they met on a bridge that Eric Lomax had kind of been forced to build. And as they met on this bridge, the man who had tortured him decades ago, as they were reunited, Takashi broke down, wept bitterly, and apologized for all that he'd done. If you're well, that's not justice, that doesn't seem. But he was broken. This man 
after he'd done all these appalling things, which he, he should have been brought to justice for, I don't know if he was, um, but he, he then helped the authorities to locate kind of mass burial sites and mass graves where people had been buried during the time. He set his life to doing charity work. He was repentant. He was broken. He was a changed man. And when Eric Lomax met him and wanted to kill him, the forgiveness and the brokenness changed him too. All that anger, all that bitterness, all that rage was just gone. And for 18 years, they became really good mates. Isn't that amazing? Until one of them passed away. 18 years. They, they found friendship despite what had happened. I mean, that's on a, another level, isn't it, of kind of friendship, you might say. Another level of forgiveness. But for me, that story, and that's just a story from the world, demonstrates that reconciliation happens. That we can't write off people. That reconciliation is possible, especially if we worship a God who reconciled us to himself. Right? If, if God's rescued us, then we can't give up on other people being rescued by him either. If God is God, then there's always hope. We know that, right? If God is God, there's hope. If he's not, we're done. But if he's God, and if he is who he says he is, and if the Bible is true, then there should always be hope. And as Christians, we've got to be different to the rest of the world. When we're sinned against, that's what this passage uses. I'm going to read it in a moment. That's the way the, the Bible frames it, which is, is the way of saying when someone hurts us, when someone is against us, and that could be minor things, in your life, that can be huge traumas like it was for my friend and her sister. Whatever it might be, when we are sinned against, how are we going to respond? What are we going to do? That's what Jesus seeks to answer, and that's what Jesus here teaches into. The importance of forgiveness, which is why the unmerciful servant comes right after it. We are not allowed to just run away and bury our heads in the sand. We can't run away from conflict. We can't just pretend it never happened. We can't pretend, oh, that person hates me and I'm just going to ignore that. We have to kind of face it head on because we're a church, which means we're God's family. And that's what this whole passage is about is within the church, with those who profess to follow Jesus, this is how it should be lived out. Because you know what? Unity speaks huge volumes to a broken and fractured society. You know, our society is so broken, it's so fractured, generally people will only look out for people that are like them, right? That's a fair assessment, I think. Church has to be different. We have to be the one thing in society that is united, and I don't just mean RK. You know, some of us will have experience in other churches. If they're professing to follow Jesus, we've got to be right with them too. Not just our immediate family at RK, but the church of all those who profess to follow Jesus. So this is it in the Bible. If you want to read along, it's kind of Matthew 18, just to check that it's actually there. This is what Jesus says. If your brother or sister, so another Christian, sins against you, go and tell him your fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained them. But if he doesn't listen, take one or two of us along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. 
Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where I am, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. So Jesus actually really helpfully, I think, actually tells us how to deal with stuff when people are causing conflict in our hearts, when people hurt us, whether accidentally, which is often the case, or intentionally, Jesus kind of gives us, this is what we're supposed to do. I don't think this is optional, by the way. I don't think this is like an optional extra for the Christian life. Just kind of prefacing that before we get into it. This is how Jesus tells us how we're to respond, because obviously he knows better than we do about how we're to kind of get on with one another. The first thing he tells us to do is deal with it. Like, seriously, that's what he tells us to do. <laughs> Look what he says. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him your fault between you and him alone. Like, my kind of natural inclination is the ostrich in many ways. I will put my head in the sand. I will say nice things in my head and pretend it will all go away and it will all blow over. It doesn't. It doesn't work like that. My friend, for years and years and years, I think that was their plan. It just didn't work. The bitterness and the stuff was still all there. Jesus says, deal with it. You know, when someone hurts you, and this happens to every single one of us, so I know that this applies to all of us because it, we're all hurt. We all hurt people. We all get hurt by people. Jesus says, the person that's hurt you, go and talk to them. That sounds really simple, doesn't it? But sometimes that can be the hardest thing we can do, especially if we leave it really long, which I think why, why else in Scripture we see, like, keep short accounts with one another. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Like, deal with things quickly and efficiently because the longer you leave it, the bigger the gap is, the harder it gets to resolve, the more you convince yourself, oh, they're against me, instead of actually just going and speaking with them. And there's no good coming to me in the first instance and saying, oh, did you know this person's done that to me? You don't need to tell me. You need to tell the person. Like, we need to go direct to the people that have hurt or offended us in some way and deal with it head on. Because I believe, right, time is short, isn't it? Do we believe that? Like Jesus is coming back, and I want as many people as possible to know about Jesus, right? I hope that's your heart too. So have we got time for, as church, to have grudges with one another? I don't think we have. I don't think we can afford to be like that. Because there's so much at stake. There's people who don't know Jesus. And yet we're like, oh, I'm not going to deal with that because it's, it's, it's minimal. It's important because it affects our hearts if we leave it. And it can affect the other person if it's left too. And we know what happens if we leave it. I'm sure we all have experience of just leaving things. You know, some of us will have experience of seeing it in churches where things are just left and it fractures and it fractures and it fractures. And it's awful, isn't it? It's heartbreaking. But if we deal with it quickly... If we deal with it privately, if we deal with it one-on-one, -on -one, it doesn't get any bigger than that. It can be dealt with quickly, which is why Jesus says, go and tell him your fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you gain your brother. By doing that, you can win people back. You can be reconciled. If I've got a problem with Joe, but I go and tell Andy, I'm not going to win Joe back, am I? But if I go and talk to Joe, well, Joe's offended me. You know, I don't know why I'm picking on you, mate. Just He hasn't, just in case anybody's worried. But like, actually, by dealing with where the issue is, it resolves it quickly, especially if they listen to you. And I came across this. It's a great quote. 
if you don't think, you know, if you, it's about listening to one another as well. It's not just about speaking with one another. It's being prepared to listen to somebody else. And I came across this great quote. And it says this, we learn of the love of God, we know of the love of God when we listen to his word. We see how much God loves us when we listen to his word. So the beginning of our love for one another is learning to listen. How are we going to love one another if we don't listen to one another? So it's yes, it's about speaking, but also it's about being prepared to listen. Leviticus 19, not often I get to quote Leviticus, so that's fun. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. And that's what Jim was talking about last week. If we don't resolve stuff, you know where all the bitterness is? You know where all the rage is? It's in our own heart. We poison ourselves. We hurt ourselves. And that's what Moses here is writing. Deal with it quickly. Proverbs 25 talks about dealing with things in secret. We don't need to announce to the whole world that we're dealing with an issue with somebody. We can deal with it privately and win each other back. And you know what that does? In the first instance, it avoids gossip. It avoids slander. It involves misinterpretation. It's just you and somebody else. And you know what? If you both love Jesus, that should be cool, right? That should be okay. If we're both loving Jesus, if we're both saying, you know what? I need to follow after God, then it should be okay. Because otherwise, if it's left, it just becomes this narrative. I remember I was about eight or nine years old, and I just had the attic converted, and I got the big bedroom for the first time, and it was amazing. And it was my birthday party, and so I had my mates over, and I had like one of these, it wasn't a full-size pool table, but it was one of these kid-friendly pool tables, and it was brilliant. And my best friend at that time is a guy called, well, still is, I suppose, my best mate. Uh, I call him Airsy because that's his surname, is Airs. No relation to this Airs's. And um, he's, a, he's a good guy, but he, like, we had kind of one of those relationships that blew a bit hot and cold, you know. <laughs> and um, on my birthday, I think he beat me at pool, so I grabbed the pool cue and smacked him over the head with it. I was only eight or nine. I think that's acceptable. But what made that worse was then I told my parents that he'd hit me. And so, like, on the phone, um, Deborah, you need to come and get Richard. He's hit my son. And uh, so he was sent home and banned from my house for two weeks because I'd hit him with a snooker cue. And for weeks after that, it was a bit uncomfortable. And I don't think we ever had a heart-to-heart about that moment, and we should have done. Fast forward to my wedding day. He's my best man. (laughs) This is why you should deal with things. And the story comes to light that, in fact, I had hit him with said snooker cue. And the look of horror on my mum and dad's face. (laughs) Because for decades they thought he'd hit me. All because, actually, there was rumor and there was misinterpretation. And we hadn't dealt with it truthfully and honestly. And you know what that made me think as I reflected on being eight or nine years old? Not everything that your kids tell you is completely true. I thought, oh, hello. I think this starts already. But I was, you know, before that, I'm thinking, my kids, they're wonderful. They always tell the truth. They're not going to, are they? We're going to mess up as people sometimes. But we can't allow things to just rumble on because actually, the longer, not only does it affect us, but it affects other people too. But if they listen to you, it's an if, but if they listen to you, can guarantee that you win them back. And actually, sometimes we think, well, they're not going to listen to us. We're not going to be reconciled. Jesus doesn't use that as an excuse not to try. 
You know, some of us here will have some long-standing things, perhaps feuds, difficulties, things that people said a long time ago that we've held on to. Jesus says we've got to attempt to win them. We can't just leave it because we think they're not going to listen. We have to give it a go. That's what Jesus says here. And if we win them, brilliant. If they don't listen, Jesus says, well, there's another level we can go to. That's just like level one, he says. Level two is we take along some of our crew. And I don't mean in like a mean girls kind of way that you're taking along your best mates. Oh, he said, she said. None of that. But you're taking along some impartial people that know you've tried to kind of deal with a confrontation. And a couple of people to come along and help and say, well, this is what's happened. This is the story. Let's deal with it. Let's nip it in the bud. Let's, let's put it to bed. That's what Jesus says to do. If reconciliation and forgiveness is always the aim, then that's a good thing, isn't it? We're not going at people saying, you are awful. You're a terrible person and I, you, know, I, you did this to me and I just can't stand you anymore. That's not what this is talking about. That's not how we should be. This is talking about, look, that X, Y, that thing really hurt me. Really hurt me. Look, and I'm really sorry for what I've done. Will you forgive me for this? And the opportunity for reconciliation and forgiveness. Because sometimes people don't know what, that they've done it. You know, that can be me sometimes. You know, sometimes I can say things, and I don't mean to have been hurtful, but maybe I don't, I'm not aware of that. And actually, by you coming to me, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay if we're both following after Jesus, isn't it? Because just as he's forgiven us and shown grace to us, we show grace and love to one another. And these kind of things here where we want to bring in an impartial kind of people, we don't have to make a big song and dance about it. We don't have to be like, right, well, we're going to have minute this meeting and it's going to be at 9 o'clock on Tuesday morning and it's going to be extremely formal. I don't think that's what Jesus means. I think literally he means like, Andy, just come with me for a second, mate, because I, I just want to resolve this tension here. That's what it's like. It's not like a big song and dance. It's just getting people along to sort it out. But then sometimes, sometimes people don't want to work it out, do they? Right? I'm sure, again, we've had experience of that. But for the church, we can't just leave it. So Jesus goes, well, there's another level that we can employ here, which is this. So you've read there, if he listens to you, gain your brother. But if he doesn't listen, take one or two others along. I've just talked about that. And then if he refuses to listen to them, then tell it to the church. Now, I used to read that (laughs) as like a much younger guy. And I thought, God, does that mean like on the microphone, like, tell it to the church that oh, this has happened, everybody. <laughs> Just wanted to let you know that this has happened in my life, and you all need to know about it because this person is terrible. That's not what this means. I know you can read it like that. Some of you may even have experience of churches handling it like that. I don't think that's right. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. I think what he means here when he's saying tell it to the churches, if you're part of a church community, you have leaders in that community, don't you? You have elders, you have shepherds, you have those that are looking after you that in theory will have wisdom. I say in theory because I'm one of them. I've got to say that. You go to those people to help you to resolve the conflict. Those people that care for the flock. Those people that God has appointed to watch over you, to point you in the right direction, to lead the church. And by this point, you get into like a pretty serious conflict, aren't you? I mean, to get to kind of level three kind of in what Jesus is saying there. This isn't just like, she stole my penny sweet. Like, you can sort that out between yourselves, hopefully. 
But this is like, there's a real conflict. There's something that's happened, and it's, a, it's something big between us, and we just can't deal with it. One of us wants reconciliation, the other one doesn't. Then Jesus says, go to those who carry spiritual wisdom, because the church is a place of discipleship. What does that mean? It means we're more like Jesus. And sometimes to be more like Jesus, we just need a gentle steer, don't we? We just gently need pointing back in the right direction when we get it wrong. And you know what? We all get it wrong. So that's okay. It's not like I'm stood here saying this morning that I get absolutely everything right ever. I don't. I smacked my mate over the head with a snooker cue when I was eight. Like We all do silly things. We all get things wrong. Yet God here says, actually, there's something special about uh, about the church, something worth protecting, something worth valuing. And, you know, I think about that again with, with family, which church is. I think about my children. I've got to gently correct them sometimes. You know, if I didn't, my children would just run across the road without looking left and right and listening, wouldn't they? But sometimes it's like, no, we need to stop. I know you don't want to stop. I know you want to go straight across the road as soon as you can, but it's for your good. It's for your benefit, but you don't see it yet, but you will see it yet. Sometimes we all need that because all of us have got blind spots, haven't we? All of us have got edges to us that sometimes the Lord just wants to gently prune and knock off. And sometimes it's through this kind of thing. So they're kind of, you know, you've tried to reconcile it. And I just want to encourage you that this isn't just like a, a kind of hypothetical method. This is something that we should be putting into practice in our relationships going to each other to be reconciled. If that doesn't work, taking someone else with us. If that doesn't work, come into the church, especially if we're professing to follow after Jesus because of all that is at stake. And to do that, to, to, to be reconciled, takes love and patience and kindness on both people's parts. I came across this as well this week, although I've kind of substantially edited it. So I could even kind of plagiarize and say it's a Dan Gower quote, couldn't I? God decides who you meet in your life and who's in your church family, but your actions decide who stays in your life. And as that kind of, we're brought together as God's family. We're brought together as those that profess to follow Jesus. And you know what that means? We are responsible as individuals to strive for unity to, uh, across the churches, but to strive to be united as God's people because it speaks volumes compared to a broken and fractured world. Jesus doesn't waste his words, does he, when he speaks? Every word of Jesus is precious. He doesn't waste them. And that's what he has to say here. He then says this in point four. And if he refuses even to listen to the church, so like even if that didn't work, you know, with church for whatever reason, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And I just want to pause and teach here that I think historically this has taken the form of excommunication in the form of the church. I think we probably have come across people that I certainly do remember meeting a lady. It was on an alpha course, actually. And it was desperately sad listening to her because she said, I'm not really sure about faith in this Jesus because I was excommunicated from my church for, so I think it was to do with divorce. But she was excommunicated. You know what? It had hurt her and left this residue. And it had left this thing in her heart where she was bitter and she was angry and she was upset because she basically didn't feel very loved. She didn't feel cared for. She just felt pushed out. And I think some people have kind of read that to say, well, if they refuse to listen to the church, let him beat you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Like, do away with them. 
that they're not one of you, that we don't need to spend time with them. Curse them. <laughs> I just want to think, though, for you to just pause and think, in Jesus' day, who are the tax collectors and Gentiles? And how did Jesus interact with the tax collectors and Gentiles? They were those who didn't have faith at that point. So that's the statement Jesus is making here. That if we're not repentant, if we're not willing to repent, we've gone through all these different things and we're still not willing to repent and say, you know what, maybe I'm in the wrong here. Then maybe we don't know Jesus, is what Jesus is saying here. But he's not saying, do away with them. Jesus hung out with the tax collectors. Jesus had dinner with the Gentiles. Jesus wanted them to know him. Jesus loved them. Jesus died for them. You know, I was thinking about this. I'm so glad that God didn't excommunicate me. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's got every right to, hasn't he? <laughs> For the fact that we break his, break his code and we, we grieve his heart and we all fall short of the standard that's set. Yet instead, Jesus sacrifices himself and dies on a cross. Sacrifices himself for relationship. Goes after and loves it's an amazing picture, actually, I think here, of how we handle conflict that we love sacrificially, even at a cost to ourselves. But there is, there is something to be said here in treating them like he's saying a Gentile and a tax collector. Look, look seriously, if there's someone that's professing faith and we're not willing to repent, we're not willing to repent quickly, then actually how they're involved in the life of the church has to change but it doesn't mean they can't be part of the life of the church. You understand that? Like if I'm preaching, yeah, there's this big thing where I'm not repentant and I'm, I've caused a massive conflict and I'm not turning back to Jesus. I shouldn't be preaching anymore. But I should still be part of the church family because I should still be able to want to be reconciled and want to come through and want to get right with Jesus again. It's all about winning people back, not kicking people out. See what I mean? There's enough people out there who don't know Jesus already. This has got to be about loving people, people knowing they're part of the family, and correcting people sometimes through the, what Jesus has to say here. But for me, it shouldn't get to that point because we should be people who are quick to repent. And if we deal with it in the one-on-ones, I don't think it gets to that point. That's why Jesus lays it out. It's almost like the nuclear button because we don't want it to get there. But sometimes, sadly, it does. But you know what that means? It means even more you and I have got responsibility to point towards the worth of Jesus. In all of our interactions, in all of our relationships. Like I said, I'm so thankful I wasn't kicked out by Jesus. But in fact, through faith and repentance, I'm welcomed in. I'm welcomed home. He loved me and never wrote me off. I think some of it is we all want justice, don't we? If we've been the victim of injustice, we all want justice, right? I think that's completely right. If someone's harmed us, we want there to be justice for that, for it to be made right. The problem is we don't then want justice for ourselves. Think about how we are before a God. If we were getting justice, we'd be done in, wouldn't we? But instead we get grace. And so that same thing applies that we are people who give grace and give grace graciously and I know and I know and I know that this is hard stuff because some of us here this morning will be really hurt some of us here this morning will be carrying things 
from our family from a long time ago, from our friends, maybe even this week. There will be things that sit here as I've been talking. You go, well, that's all well and good you saying that, but you don't know this. That's what I'm talking about with justice. We want it, but what about for ourselves? It's hard because forgiveness is not always easy, but I don't think that's a reason to avoid it. It's the central tenet of our faith, isn't it? Faith and repentance, the cross of Christ, death and resurrection, hope. Yesterday we talked about hope even in death. Even in the bleakest of situations, there's hope for those who put their trust in Jesus. Even in the bleakest of conflicts, there's hope for those who put their trust in Jesus. And I think that's why Jesus puts these verses at the end of a really hard passage. A really hard passage to teach on as well, you know. But 19 and 20, if you've got your Bible, I think that's why 18, 19 and 20, I think that's why Jesus puts it there. Because he knows it's hard. He knows that some of us this morning on reading that or hearing that will be like, oh, I feel like I've been punched in the stomach. I should have stayed in bed. I didn't want to hear this this morning. That's why he says this. I say to you, well, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth should be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth should be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. And then this verse, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. You see, that verse, I think sadly, by me and by others, is not used in its proper context most of the time. We use that as, oh, there's a couple of us here, brilliant, God's with us. Which implies God isn't with you when you're by yourself. Which isn't true, is it? Because God's with us all the time. But it takes on so much more power if we read that as, oh, when we're talking about forgiveness and when we're talking about being reconciled and when we're talking about conflict, that Jesus is with us. Oh, man. That does my heart so much good. That I know that where there's conflict, where there's hurt, that God knows that God's with me, that God hasn't abandoned me and that God loves me. I heard this story once of a Christian man that was in a room and it was kind of a teaching metaphor or story and it was a room and everybody else had left him and he was just sat in a dark room. And the question was put, how many people are in the room? And it it was a Christian man and everyone went, oh, he's just one person. He's all by himself. He's all alone. And the person turned around and said, well, it depends how pedantic you are. We said, well, there's at least two because there's God and there's him. But actually, if you count Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's four of them in the room. Actually, we are not alone in this journey of life. We have God with us. And you know what? Some of the hardest things I think we ever have to deal with are conflict situations. People that hurt us, people that betray our trust, people that stab us in the back. And that's what makes this so hard. Because Jesus says, you've got to go my way. You've got to go the way of the cross. Sometimes that means sacrifice. Sometimes that means laying down our life for the good of someone else. Sometimes that means calling things out and going and speaking to that person and sorting it out. Because we have a responsibility as a church, not just for Demi King, but as a church, to be different to the rest of the world.